of July. Aren't you glad that we are free? Because whom the sun sets free is free indeed. indeed. Excited to be here. It's yes. A great night. How many of y'all came last night? Raise your hand if you were here last night. <laughs> Saw the fireworks. We got to hear Charlie and uh, just a phenomenal, phenomenal, eat a bunch of just terrible food for you. That's why I work out is because of that right there. We also got a bunch of people online. Let's just uh, give it up for Florida, Virginia, North Carolina, Georgia, South Carolina, Tennessee, and, and Sierra, Sierra Leone. Leon. Thank you guys for joining us. Yes. We're so glad. Uh, today's a special day. Um, we, uh, you know, I've gotten to know Charlie over the last probably year or so. We met in Arizona and um, watching him online and then getting to meet him in person was phenomenal. And so what happened is, uh, for us as a church, we realized that we needed to take some steps forward. Uh, people ask us all the time, you know, why are you guys getting involved in politics? And why are you, well, first of all, we're not getting involved in politics. Politics found its way into the church. And we as the church. We're fighting back. So what has happened over the last probably 15 or 20, even maybe 30 years, is the church has taken a back seat on issues that have been hijacked by the government. And things like abortion, things like homosexuality, marriage, family, all of those things. And Pick your gender. Yeah, all of those things. Pronouns, which I don't even still understand any of that stuff. I'm Troy. Nice to meet you. And so then we had a pandemic. And what happened is uh, churches uh, and pastors had decisions to make. And we made a decision to speak for truth. Uh, because our church is founded on John chapter 8. And there are people like Charlie, which you're going to get to hear today, who are, uh, who've built a foundation not just in what they do socially, not what they just do in um, social media and also around the world. He is affecting college students. They have Turning Point USA is in colleges all over the nation. Um, God's using this young man to make a difference. He's for the church. He loves Jesus. Uh, We would never have anybody on this platform that doesn't first prioritize their relationship with Christ. I want you to understand that. Um, but there's a message that is, I believe, a prophetic message that needs to be heard. And here's what I know about church. Here's the cool thing, um, Charlie, that, that's great about church, is when you speak to people, this is what I've learned. When you speak to people, you're not really speaking to them, you're speaking through them. And so there are people that are going to be influenced by what you hear today uh, and what you hear every Sunday at church. And so re- recognize that you're a filter that God's going to use to change people's worldview, to change their life. And so I want you to put your hands together. Big Freedom House Church welcome for Charlie Kirk. Come on, let's give it up for him. Come on. We will not embrace the ideas that have destroyed countries, destroyed lives. And we are going to fight for freedom on campuses across the country. That's why we are here. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Please sit down. Thank you guys for coming again from last night. I promise it'll be different in some way, similar in others. And uh, if you really want to spend your Sunday diving deep into why we live in the greatest country ever to exist in the history of the world, we have two more services today still to do. So 
I first just want to say thank you to the Maxwells for having us. This is a wonderful church. It was not a hard sell to spend Independence Day at Freedom House Church, which is just kind of like the coolest thing ever. And this is going to be somewhat, some people will say, oh, this is heretical. I really don't care. This is actually my favorite day in the entire calendar year. And I'll tell you why. It's because it's a, I love Christmas, I love Easter, but it just becomes so commercialized in our society. This is a day that I just, at least in our world, legitimately the phone's not going off, email's not going off, and it is a day about this word, freedom, which comes from a Greek word, eleutheria, which really is the whole idea of the gospel, and we're going to go into that in this speech, but what happened on July 4, 1776, and it started really on July 2nd, 1776, was something that I don't think many young people are, are being taught in school correctly, and quite honestly, we forget it. And we hear the cliches on TV, which is, this was the day that we were founded. Well, that's interesting. Who was the president when we were founded? We didn't have one. Do we have a Supreme Court? We didn't have that either. Did we have a constitution? Not, no. So our founding was before we actually had official government documents. This was a founding that was instead a declaration of our ideals and our principles. So we have, I have the declaration right here, and we're going to read some parts of it together. But before I read it, I want you guys to think, this document, when they wrote it, we call it our birth certificate for good reason. They didn't, not, they didn't know if this was going to be their birth certificate or a death certificate. They didn't know. When they wrote this and they signed it, they said, we don't know how this is going to work out, but we're willing to pay whatever price is necessary when we sign this document. I want you to think about that, the uncertainty when you sign this document. Now, all 56 signers, when they actually went and they met on that very humid day on July 4th, 1776, they all had writs for their arrest from the King of England. So they were, being, they were being hunted. They were being looked for. They did this at a port city in Philadelphia against the greatest naval power ever to exist in the history of the world. And they commissioned young Thomas Jefferson. They said, hey, you're smart. Why don't you, you know, try this? And what he wrote is something that has quite honestly never been written since. Something that is so profound and so exceptional that we entering in a world that we did not create, it's easy to take this for granted. And it starts with when in the course of human events. What does that mean? It means that first and foremost, that this document is about how human beings are supposed to govern themselves. Now this is an interesting question. What is a human being? Now, at certain college campuses, they'll say, well, a human being is anything. It's just a collection of cells. No, we believe a human being has a soul and a spirit. We believe a human being is made in the image of God. We believe a human being can speak. Aristotle said human beings are the speaking beings. You see, what makes us different than dolphins is that we have the ability to reason. We have logic. We don't just have a pleasure and pain matrix. We also are able to see love and beauty and wonder. We're able to form associations. You see, this idea of what a human being is is fundamental to then first how you form a government. But if you're not able to even have that conversation what a human being is, then it's just, well, then why, aren't, why don't we just get dominated and get controlled by a foreign power as that was happening before? You see, when you recognize that in John 1, it said, in the beginning was the word, but that word was logos. It's reason, it's logic, the capacity to speak. If you look at Genesis 1 and John 1, they're the two creation stories in the Bible. They're actually saying the same thing, that God spoke it into existence. Remember, we're made into the image of God. So when we speak, we are 
doing exactly what God is doing. And so what Thomas Jefferson is saying here is, look, when in the course of human events and what a human being is very important, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which has connected them with another. What is he saying here? He's saying, look, this, what I'm about to say here, is applicable at all time. This is an eternal truth, that if people's humanity gets abused, then all of a sudden you have a moral right to say no more. That what he's saying is that there's no time stamp, there's no, uh, there's no parameters based on what we're about to go through. To assume the powers of the earth, the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God. Don't let anyone tell you that the founding fathers did not believe in a higher power. God is mentioned five times in the Declaration of Independence, explicitly. Out of the 56 signers of the Declaration, one we have questions about, but 55 out of 56 were Bible-believing, regular church-attending Christians, and 14 out of 56 were pastors who signed the Declaration of Independence. Troy, I know you would sign the document if you were back there. And <laughs> the separate and equal station with the laws of nature and nature's God entitled them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to separation. So the Declaration starts really wide. It starts with this big picture idea. Thomas Jefferson says, you know what? Before I get to the specifics, before I get the laundry list, I'm going to make a philosophical point. I'm going to say that human beings who are made in the image of God have a moral right to be able to pursue virtue, to be able to associate, and not have their rights and their freedoms abused. That's a big statement. And guess what? No one had made that statement before. People kind of were on the edges, but never before did this association come together. It continues. This is a big statement. We hold these truths to be self-evident. This is scriptural, by the way. If we're made in the image of God, if we're able to have reason, if we're able to see things as God sees them, then we're able to have this idea that we can find that truth self-evidently. Not we don't need a king to help to, to find, have, have us find that truth. That if we read the word of the Lord, we're able to find the truth. That all men are created equal. Big deal. Think about that. This idea of equality comes right out of Galatians. Neither slave nor Greek nor Jew, we are all one in Jesus Christ. It, there's no hierarchy here that all men are created equal. You, I want you to think about how big of a deal it is to say that back in 1776. That every government that was known to man at that time had a ruler that was not elected that got there because he was born into it. But Thomas Jefferson just kind of throws the tables up and says, you know what, no, actually all men are created equal. Not with equal talents, never said that. Some people are better at basketball than others. Some people are better at music than others. Not with equal stuff when they die, no. But instead this idea of biblical equality. This idea that every person made in the image of God deserves decency and respect and equality under the law. Continues by saying that they are endowed by their creator, capital C. Again, don't ever say the founding fathers were not moved by the Holy Spirit. With certain unalienable rights that among these are life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. So let's go through those. Life. Well, God gives us life. God spoke life into us. We know that right there in Genesis 1, 2, 3, and 4. And then liberty. This idea of liberty we're going to get into. This entire church is talks about freedom and liberty. And this idea of liberty is not being able to do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it. That is not liberty. Liberty instead is being able to pursue virtue without somebody else getting in the way or a government power getting in the way. And then what is virtue? Well, virtue, there's a lot of different ways we can unpack that, is, is being able to worship your creator and obey his commands. 
That's as simple as I could possibly put it. So we're here today at church and maybe some people had a long light le- le- night last night. By the way, congratulations for coming to the 9.30 service the day after the Saturday of July 3rd. You guys deserve a round of applause. There's actually a lot more people than I thought. The, the one o'clock service is gonna be full of people. They're gonna be all very happy. Maybe not, who knows? Is that it's easy to take for granted what we have here. The only reason that we're able to come to church right now today is because of the 56 men that signed that document on July 4th, 1776. This is, and some people say, oh, Charlie, it's not a, come on, church is the norm. No, it's not. Pastors are getting arrested in Canada like you wouldn't believe for having church. Churches are being burned to the ground in over 20 countries across the world. This idea of church that we have is a rare and an exceptional thing. In fact, Thomas Jefferson talks about that later in the Declaration. We'll get to that in a second that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights. So what does that mean? That means that what you don't fight for, what you're not thankful for, what you don't contest for, it's gonna disappear. That's what Thomas Jefferson is saying, is that we have these rights because God gave them naturally to us, but if we don't secure them, then they're going, to, they're going to disappear. And it says this in the Bible, by the way. So in Jeremiah 29, seven, it says, seek or demand the welfare of the city or the nation of which you are in because your welfare is tied to your nation's welfare. Now think about the wisdom of that verse. What it's saying is this, is that if you don't care at all about government, which I understand some people don't, they're like, oh, I'm so tired of this whole government thing. Well, if you don't take an interest in government, government will take an interest in you. And you've seen that over the last year, right? And you go look at the Soviet Union. A lot of young people have never heard of the Soviet Union, by the way. Soviet Union killed 30 million people intentionally. And I can tell you right now, they did not have churches growing. And if there dared to be a, a church by the name of Freedom House in Moscow in the Soviet Union, or even at sometimes today, it would have been shut down. I'm going to tell you a story about a guy by the name of Joseph Bondarenko. I've had an opportunity to get to know him. He was a pastor. He knew Billy Graham very well in the Soviet Union in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. He proclaimed the word of the Lord. And he would always be challenging the Soviet authorities saying, no, 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 no. The commissar is not the ultimate authority. Jesus Christ is the ultimate authority. He was too successful and the KGB showed up and arrested him and he spent 10 years in prison of 23 hours a day in solitary confinement. He was able to survive and the Soviet Union fell and tell the story and he has a beautiful family now. The point is that what we take for granted and as normal is actually the exception. What we're living through right now, even in this church right now, is something that is attributable thanks to the courage of the founding fathers. Deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. What does that mean? That means that the, the Declaration of Independence was not about taxes. It was not about tea. It was about consent. It was about this idea that you are not allowed to be able to abuse how God made us without our permission. The entire American Revolution was about consent. Now, I'm going to go through at the end because the Founding Fathers did not want conflict. They wished they could have solved this peacefully. They did everything they possibly could, and I'll prove it to you. Deriving from their just powers, consent of the governed, that wherever any form of government becomes destructive to these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and to institute a new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence, which is a biblical word, which we call wisdom, right? We call that in James 1.5, 
when you ask the Lord for wisdom, he will give it to you generously, right? So prudence can be interchanged with wisdom or practical judgment. We all, you know what we call it nowadays? Common sense. Now, if only common sense was more common nowadays, right? And so when you, when you read James 1.5, we, we say wisdom, but that's the word that like, oh, come on, that's just common sense. Well, I think after the last year, we realized that common sense isn't too common where we keep marijuana shops and liquor stores and abortion clinics open and we close the church. Common sense is not too common in America anymore. Continues by saying that with prudence indeed will dictate that governments long established should not be for light or transient causes, but accordingly that all established, that experience hath shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms which which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations, pursuing invariably the same old object, invinces a design to reduce them under an absolute despotism. It is their right and it is their duty to throw off such a government and to provide new guards for their future security. What they're saying is, look, we've tried everything we can, but I'm about to list all the reasons for everyone to read how you are getting in the way that God made us and God designed us and who we are as human beings. So Thomas Jefferson goes on to write that you refuse the laws. You put the military in our, um, you put the military into our homes. He has, King George has kept among us in times of peace standing armies without the consent of our legislatures. And this is one right here that isn't talked about a lot. He has plundered our seas, ravaged our coasts, burnt our towns and destroyed the lives of the people. Oh really, is that it? And they're still saying, can we please try to solve this peacefully? I'm going to read that sentence again. Burnt our towns, destroyed the lives of our people, and plundered our seas. And then, so the declaration gets narrow, and then it gets wide again. I mean, super wide, where Thomas Jefferson says, look, we have warned them, we have reminded you, and we have appealed, but they have, tuned, they have been deaf to the voice of the justice of our appeal. And then it finally says this, and this is a really interesting thing. A wrong reading of the declaration says, well, Charlie, they're being disobedient. No, this is a document of obedience. You know why? It's an obedience to the Lord because they say at the end, we appeal to the supreme judge of the world, that King George, you are not in charge. Jesus Christ is in charge of the world. That's what the founding fathers are saying here. And then finally it says, a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence that we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. That's written like people who are at war, isn't it? That sounds like people that are about to go into something that's pretty intense. Now, out of the 56 founding fathers, 12 of them that we know of had their entire, their homes and their families kidnapped and their homes ransacked, that we know at least six of them were hunted down and killed in the following months and years, and we know that 19 out of 56 of them fought in the Revolutionary War and then six of those 19 died. Big cost for just signing this document, that they were willing to put their names behind it. So we ask ourselves this question. This is our birth certificate. This is who we are as a people. Now, should we care about the well-being of our nation as Christians? Or should we just say, look, nations come and go. We don't care about that. Well, I go back to that idea in Jeremiah that your welfare is the welfare of the nation around you. But also, we're called in Romans, I believe, 8, 12, to love what is good and hate what is evil. Look, if we as Christians believe in the good news and the rebirth of Jesus Christ, then we should want to spread the truth in every single arena imaginable, including how we govern ourselves. 
So the truths of the Declaration, which of course is a document about human freedom and human liberty and human equality, as we read it now through a 2021 lens, it's very easy to say, this is so obvious, isn't it? We talked about this last night. It's so obvious that, that people should be able to be free, that people should be governed. Well, the largest country in the world, none of these truths are applicable right now. In China, where there's 1.3 billion people, they are not having church today. They're not celebrating independence. Instead, it's obedience. Obedience not to the Lord, not obedience to Jesus, but instead obedience to an atheistic dictator. And so when I tell young people this, it's so easy to want to take for granted what we, what we have here and what's been given to us, what's been sacrificed. But I'm here to tell you right now that if we don't recommit ourselves to the ideals of the founding fathers, then we'll talk about this in the prior tense and not in the current tense. And we've seen that over the last year. And if you, over the last year, over the last 12 months, I think you have seen the, the church be singled out in a way that we have really never anticipated before. And we have seen this constant obsession with locking down truth tellers and restricting the capacity to be able to congregate and gather all under this idea of public health. Now, let me just say this. I believe the lockdowns will go down as one of the worst mistakes in American history. I will say that again. The lockdowns will go down as one of the worst mistakes in American history. We have seen a rapid increase in mental health issues, in suicide, in self-harm, in alcoholism, drug usage, the small businesses that disappeared that will never reopen, some of the churches that have disappeared that have never reopened. We have more young children staring at screens looking for wisdom and instead finding none when they should be talking to their friends and doing something that's very simple, which is being able to make friendships or bonds for a lifetime. We have, we have decided to socially re-engineer our society. I said this last night, I'll say it again. And then we put these masks on six and seven and eight-year-olds, which is child abuse, by the way, and is bad for young children. It's bad for everyone around there. And we say, I wonder why all of a sudden they have all these issues. The point is that the co this commitment of the Declaration of Independence on July 4th, 1776, as we look at it at July 4th, 2021, I'm telling you what all, a lot of you are thinking is that window is closing is that this gift that we've been given of self-government, of this idea of being able to pursue virtue, is all of a sudden something that if we do not take action in this beautiful republic that we're going to lose. And so if you, if you read here through the declaration again, it inspires me personally to all of a sudden ask myself the question, am I doing everything I possibly can to contest for liberty and freedom and for truth? We live great lives. We live lives of luxury. We live lives of comfort. We live lives where our idea of a tough day or of suffering is not having our Amazon delivery packages sent to us quick enough. And I'm gonna reemphasize this for the, I'm not asking you to sign a document where there will be an arrest warrant out for you. I'm not asking you to all of a sudden have to pledge your lives, your fortune, your sacred honor. But what I am saying right now is that this idea of liberty is not man's idea, it's God's idea. And it's disappearing and it's fading. And make no mistake that if we then embrace this idea of comfort and luxury and pleasure over obedience to the Lord and his truths, then your children, and maybe even closer than that in the next five or 10 years, will have a country that's completely and totally unrecognizable. And I think we're headed in that way rather quickly. And it, this is another important point where the church has to continue to take a very a, a, a strong role. What was the context, the lead up 
to July 4th, 1776. It was churches that were willing to take a stand like the Maxwells and, and, and stand up and be very clear and say, here is what is true and here is what is false. Now we have to understand we're in the midst of a spiritual war right now. And the spiritual war is sometimes tough to identify. Here's how you know we're in a spiritual war, is that the devil is a liar. The devil never tells the truth. He's whispering in your ear. He's trying to take you off your game. Anything that you see in the physical or the material world is only a manifestation of what is happening spiritually. And by the way, when you go to college campuses, they tell you that there is no God and there is no Satan. And the famous quote is that the greatest trick the devil ever played is to make you think he does not exist. Because then all of a sudden you believe, well, there is no good, there is no evil. I'm just a bunch of cells and I'm going to go after things that make me feel good. I'm going to go after things that make me at least feel powerful or feel important. But you see that if we do not get our terms right at this particular moment, we realize that liberty given to us by Christ sets us free from our natural state of bondage. And what I'm saying is the Declaration of Independence was an act of obedience to try to break free of a tyrannical rule. But Every single person out there, and even those of you who are saved, you might be living under a tyrannical moment of Satan whispering in your ear in a spiritual environment. And I'm going to go through in great details what the scriptures say about what it means to be born again in Christ. So as we look at the declaration, it is living out this idea that man has a moral right to be free. So in our natural state, we are not free. In our natural state, we're in bondage. We are, this is the big debate happening right now in America, not a political debate. It's this simple. Do you believe man is naturally good or naturally bad? We as Christians believe men men are really naturally bad. We believe that we are born with sin and it's an inescapable pattern and that only Jesus Christ can make us born again and then we have a chance at eternal life. And by his grace and something we did not earn, we are able to accept that gift for free, not doing the right things or checking the right boxes. The other side though, and you can call it whatever side you want, they say, no, no, human beings are actually naturally good. Human beings are wonderful. The problem is society. You see, at the bicentennial in 1976, parents would say to young children, you're the problem and you need improvement and America is wonderful. Now, In 2021, most parents say to young children, you're wonderful and America needs improvement and America's the problem. You see the difference? Now, if you believe that human beings have original sin and need to get back in a relationship with Jesus Christ, then that changes the way that you view government. Because then you view government as likely that power is going to be abused. That it's going to be collectivized against people that are pursuing virtue for the good. And so as we look at this, this discussion right here and we're in the midst of this spiritual war, a lot of people are saying, Charlie, I don't understand how that applies to me. Well, it's very simple. You see, the Bible says, and this is the verse, it's so funny, I actually had the verse ready to go. John eight thirty one, which is what this whole church is founded on. Freedom house, which again goes back to this Greek word of eleutheria. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now understand this. Feelings can lie to you. I'm going to say that again. Feelings can lie to you. Satan can use feelings to lie to you. You see, what makes Christianity different 
than any other viewpoint, and I will put this up against any religious system, Zoroastrianism, Hinduism, Buddhism, and this all kind of like this idea, well, I'm spiritual, I'm not religious. You guys heard that recently? Makes me, at least you're not an atheist. Like, we'll bring you over, right? So, you know, it's like, you know, we're, you're, you're on the way, right? You're, uh, you're on the on-ramp, right? It's fine. And if there's anyone like that here today, God bless you. But I'm going to tell you what makes it different is that Christianity, what makes Christianity different is uncompromising truth. This idea of regardless of how you feel or how good of a day you're having or not, there, is, there are things that are true in the metaphysical. That God is real and he is unchanging and he created the world and that he sent a son to save you from your natural broken nature. Now, we were not made broken, but we rebelled from God. Sin is distance from God. I tell this to young people all the time, like you can go choose to sin, like, oh, that's what fun is. Like, okay, you choose to sin, you choose to suffer. And God did not give us the Ten Commandments. He did not give us these laws of obedience because he hated us. It's the opposite. It's if you actually follow his commands, you're going to be blessed. So here's this interesting thing to think about. What are you currently bonded to? Everyone's bonded to something. Even if you're saved new in Jesus Christ, because you're going to fall back in your sinful nature, and then you've got to go to church, and you, you, you repent, and you find, you find that all of a sudden you're born new, and hopefully you won't do it again, and hopefully you'll stay in obedience, but we're all going to get back in that cycle, because we still have that brokenness in us until we actually meet our Creator in eternity. But what are you bonded to? Now, for those people that, that are here today, and you might not have you know, given your life yet to Christ, you might be thinking to yourself, man, I've tried everything I possibly can to live a good life, yet I keep on falling short. Yes, you're right. That's what it means to be a human being. Because what happened in the garden is we decided to separate ourselves from how God made us. We decided to disobey. And with that, human nature embraced the lie of Satan. Remember, Satan is a liar. The serpent misleads you. And so we're in the midst of this spiritual war right now. Now, thankfully, none of our leaders on television ever lie, and they never mislead us, and they never say anything that's not true. And everything under the guise of public health has been perfectly consistent and 100% true. Now, we don't live in a sea of lies and confusion. Everything is clear and honest and true. I think we all know that it's the exact opposite. The more confusing the times, the more the more that we need to seek the, the ultimate truth. And so it says in Galatians 5, as we talk about freedom, what, what are you trying to get free from? You know, in the biblical narrative in Exodus, this is, the, this is a great example that a lot of people know of, what were God's chosen people trying to get free from? Well, they were literally slaves. They were, and, and, and Moses comes along and basically challenges Pharaoh, and Pharaoh was the tyrant, and he was the despot, and... Pharaoh didn't really like what Moses had to say. And so he's like, all right, we're going to double the brick output. And they're like, who's this Moses guy? Like, get rid of this guy. We don't like him. God delivered God cho God's chosen people from Egypt into the Sinai. But this is the, this is the most amazing example that I have to give to you about how human nature is. They're free, right? And then after a couple chapters, they start complaining again. And they're like, you know what? I don't really like the food we have here in the desert. It's true. They're like, this manna from heaven, unimpressive. I want to go back and eat meat. And it was because they ate meat in Egypt. And they said, let's go back to Egypt because at least we ate meat. Now, what are they saying? I would rather be a slave 
and be able to eat well. This idea of freedom is a dangerous proposition, everybody, and it's very fragile. It's vi- what we have right now, we're celebrating on July 4th, is very fragile. And the only way to sustain freedom, the only way, is to have a robust and committed relationship with Jesus Christ. There is no other way to sustain freedom. It will fall apart. And that, that is for government, that is for culture, that is for everything. And so, because our, our, the temptation, our fallen nature is one to go backwards. And, and by the way, I don't want to go to church Man, I'm just going to vote for people that give me free checks and I'm, I'm going to do weed all day and screw all this and like whatever. That's tempting, right? I get it. I don't want to have to work. Work is hard. I'm like, nah, I don't want to do that. I don't have to get married. Like, come on. By the way, I just got married on May 8th. It's wonderful, by the way. And so that's the tempting, broken nature side of you that wants to bring you there. But it says in Galatians 5, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm them and do not, then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. You see, we have to look at the earth as enemy-occupied territory. Satan is everywhere, and we see that more than ever, right? And in fact, we've made the mistake of letting Satan on our cable television channels, propagandizing six- and seven-year-olds. And remember, when evil is not confronted with truth, it's going to keep on pushing those boundaries, right? And it starts small and it keeps going, it keeps going. And you know what's amazing is that we now have people say, well, who are you to say what is good and evil? It's my truth. Remember what I said about Christianity? What makes Christianity different is bold and uncompromising claims of what is true and what is false. What is true is that people deserve, have a moral right to be free. What is true is that God created man and God created woman. What is true is that God has certain laws that we should live by. Now, what is false is all of a sudden people say, well, no, it's actually based on what your opinion is. Let me be very clear. I don't care about what your opinion is. I care about what God's truth is. Continues by saying in Galatians 5, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Whoa. Are you using your American freedom to indulge in the flesh? The founding fathers, inspired by the scriptures of the pastor's teachings of the 1740s, 50s, and 60s, early 70s, separated from Britain at a great cost, lost almost everything. They gave us this constitutional republic. They almost lost in the 1820s. Pastors stepped up. Great awakening. I call it the trust fall, right? The trust fall is when America is falling, the church is always there to catch it and put it right back into place, right? And in the 1850s, the same thing in the... In the quest to abolish slavery. Billy Graham, God bless him, in the 1950s, kept America from communism and Marxism. What do we do with the freedom that we have here in America? Well, it says very clearly in Galatians that this freedom that you have in Christ, and the same can be said for governmental or political or social freedom, do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, kind of sounds like the last year, doesn't it? Watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. So beautiful what Paul wrote here. 
But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So I read this last night and I said, man, this, this sounds like 2021. And then I'm going to close with just a, um, and I want to invite the um, folks up that we could close on just, just to think about what you could do to accept Christ in your life. I want you to think about this, this verse right here. This feels like 2021. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit... See, that's what we always quote. We don't quote the verse before, right? We're like, oh, the fruit of the Spirit. Like, no, actually, there's a contrast here, right? But the fruit of the Spirit's much better. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. You see, July 4, 1776, spirit-filled men signed a document and were able to enjoy this republic still today. You see, the declaration was about eternal truths and ultimate purpose. It was not just like a temporary thing that got submitted, but it's as applicable then it is today. But I'm going to ask you a question here. They say here, assembled today, we appeal to the supreme judge of the world. Today, we want to appeal to the supreme judge of the world. And every person should want to appeal to the supreme judge of the world. And the reason we're all really here is to do the most important thing you can do. You see, my day-to-day job of what we do at Turning Point USA and on radio and podcasting is mostly focused on the second thing, but the second thing is important for the most important thing. The second most important thing a human being can do is to make sure that you have an environment to be able to worship Christ and make Christ known. That's what my day-to-day job is. But right now I want to talk about what does it mean to actually accept Christ in your life? And so unlike any other thing you'll ever come in contact with, and by the way, this is an open offer. If anyone ever finds anything better than Jesus Christ, my email is freedom at charliekirk.com. Tell me what it is and tell me the book. You'll never find anything that is even close. And so let me say this. Jesus is a real person and was a real person in the flesh. The Bible is true through a real account of his real testimony and real miracles. There's never been an archeological discovery ever that has contradicted the truth of the Bible. So Jesus, his first miracle was turning water into wine, aging something perfectly to perfection. He came into the material world to show us that even though we are in a sinful nature, I will, I will manifest myself within, among you and walk next to you. So we ask ourselves this question of, what's going to happen when the Bible says you're going to come to that eternal judgment? So there's really one of two things. Either God is going to list off everything you've done wrong in your entire life, which is going to be an exhausting thing, isn't it? It's going to be really long and really painful, really hard to hear. And basically, the supreme rule of the world is going to be like, yeah, you messed up. You were in disobedience here, in defiance here, in separation here. I tried to tell you to come back to me here. I gave you an opportunity there. This pastor said that here. And you're like, holy moly. Like, and then regret is going to be coming over. But maybe as soon as he's about to give you that sentence, which is permanent separation from God, someone taps him on the shoulder and says, no, 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 no. I know, I know who that is. I have his or her name written in the book of life you may now enter. So what do you have to do to do that? It's actually really simple. 
but it's not easy because it takes an acceptance that you're not the most important person ever to exist in the history of the world. It's not, it's simple, but it's not easy. So it takes this idea of accepting grace. And we'll close with this and then with a prayer, which is, I'm gonna tell you what justice is, what mercy is, and then what grace is. Justice is getting exactly what you deserve. We deserve hell. We do. That's a hard thing for people to say. But we are in constant disobedience to how the Lord wants us to live. All about me, constant separation. And so when we go in front of the creator, what we deserve is permanent separation because that's the life we've lived. So mercy is getting less of what you deserve. Some theologians say there is a internal equivalent to it. The point is that you get a reduced sentence. You steal something, you get the judge, like instead of getting 10 years, you get five years. Grace is something that's so fundamentally different. Grace is something that it's not even the perfect English word for it because we use it too much. It's when you go in front of the judge and all of a sudden you know what that sentence is about to be. Someone says, no, 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 not only is he free to go live forever, I'm gonna go serve that sentence for him. That I'm gonna go in the prison cell, I'm gonna lock the door and he can go free. That's what grace is. Grace is something that is beyond anything of our human comprehension. It's beyond anything that we can earn or boxes we can check. So if you're here today and you're like, Charlie, I don't feel like I'm enough, that's exactly how you're supposed to feel. And so I wanna close with this, that every single person here today has now heard the good news. And now it's up for you to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, to be the chairman of the board of your life. And once you do, you will be born new and everything will change. Music will sound different. Food will taste better. I'm not kidding. And then all of a sudden you'll go out and drinking with your friends. You're gonna take Jesus drinking with you. And, and, and all of a sudden things will change. And you'll ask the Lord for wisdom and you'll be filled with eternal knowledge and judgment that you'd never have before. And all you have to do is accept that gift. So let's pray together. Dear Lord, thank you for assembling us here today at this beautiful church. You give us freedom through your son in this beautiful country. And we pray for our nation. You tell us in 1 Timothy to pray for our leaders by name that we might live quiet and peaceable lives. And I pray that we might have gratitude for living in the greatest nation ever to exist, but also that people accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, as this gift that you have given us that we do not deserve through your grace. I want to thank you for the Maxwells, for this wonderful church, for the courage to stand. I want to thank you for the freedom we have to assemble. And for those of you out there right now that want to give your life to Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands or to do anything like that, but if you want to do that, please find a pastor here. They'd, be, they'd love to tell you what that means and show you the path forward from there. So Lord, thank you for all you give us and thank you for the ability to live in this beautiful country. Amen. Thank you guys so much. God bless you guys and we'll speak to you soon.